As the mother of two and the leader of an organization called Canadian Gender Report, my guest today had a personal experience that sparked her determination to make sure that parents and children are given accurate data, truth, and a choice when it comes to gender teaching in the classroom. Not to mention the lack of accountability where children's development is stunted or harmed. Here's a powerful quote from Pam Buffone. I'm a strong believer that activism and wishful thinking are no substitute for evidence and common sense. The activism on the topic has gone way too far and is poisoning our ability to understand and discuss critical issues on the sensitive topic of gender and identity. Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Well, Pam, it's so good to have you on Return to Reason today. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm, I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, when we came across your, your story and what you're doing with um, the Canadian Gender Report, we, we just thought right away we had to get you on. We, uh, there's so many viewers I find, so many people in Canada and just even North America who are dealing with a similar story of yours. And I just want to, let's just flesh out your story first of all. I'll ask you a couple questions and our viewers will quickly catch on as to where we're going with this. Yeah. So it all started when uh, my youngest daughter was in grade one. Yeah. Um, at the local public school, right? Yeah. And um, and we were. She actually alerted us to the gender ideology um, lessons that were happening in her grade one class. There was a teacher who had taken over the classroom grade in January, one. and all of a sudden, yeah, she was six years old. And and the the way that we found out was one day um, we were talking about school and talking about um, talking about mummies and daddies, actually, and you know, and that sort of thing. She said, well, my teacher says there's no such thing as boys and girls. And she said it in a very upset and confused and distressed little voice uh, at the yeah. age of six. Of course. Whoa, what's going on? Why, why would your teacher say such a thing? You know, why did you? And, and then I started pulling on the strings, right? I went and spoke with the teacher to understand yeah. what was happening and, and, um, and unraveled sort of what had been going on in her classroom and, and, um, so just videos. to be clear, was this yeah. was this coming through the curriculum or was this just the teacher's prerogative? It was the teacher's prerogative. And what I've learned since then is that there is no real curriculum around oh, this. Wow. Um, it is being introduced as sort of an inclusivity agenda under anti-bullying kind of, um, you know, agendas, that sort of thing. And so it's, yeah, it's not so much... Um, you know, okay, we're going to teach this today. It's a it's a planned lesson. It's more of a oh look, I see an opportunity to teach the class about gender um, because someone was being bullied on the playground because they were wearing a pink shirt. I mean, back in you know back in my day, we would have said just stop that. You know, you treat people well, right? But now it becomes an excuse for all of these gender ideology lessons. You know, uh, teaching kids about pronouns and what pronouns should you be using. Um, or could you be using, and the idea that maybe there aren't such things as girls and boys anymore, because there's all of this other gray, you know, gray area in the middle, um, and you get to choose, right? That's very much the message. You get to choose. No one can tell you. And is that what was taught to your, to your daughter? Yes, yes, wow. absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, and there was no, when we spoke to the principal and the, um, you know, and the superintendent and so on, um, you know, there was just pushback, which I found very strange. You know, we went in wanting to understand why this was being taught. And, and it was just, well, don't you understand? You know, we need to be doing this because, you know, there's a little girl in the class who 
doesn't, uh, you know, she may not feel like she's a girl or she picked up the Purell bottle with, you know, a picture of a boy on it. And she said, but I feel like a boy today. And, and, you know, again, as a, I hope fairly reasonable parent, I don't understand why we need to take things to the next level. To, Especially at that um, age. At that age, six yeah. years old, right? Yeah. Like I have three um, children and like, I don't, they, they have no, no worldview, no understanding, no big picture. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to, they don't have critical thinking. They're not, they're not taking everything into account when they make a decision. So for, even if they were to say something like that, to take it so literally just seems crazy. It's just wild. Yeah, absolutely. And to apply it to everyone, you know, yeah. um, what you often hear from teachers and, and the schools is that, well, we're teaching kids about other people, you know, other people live like this. Other people identify differently. We have to teach, yeah. um, teach kids about others. That's their message. What they yeah. really do is teach kids a different sense of their own personal identity. Yeah. So they're teaching wow. kids that they themselves, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, if you don't like playing with Barbie dolls as a girl, well, you don't conform to those gender stereotypes. Maybe you actually have a different gender. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a very harmful kind of idea. It's all linked to gender stereotypes. There is no way to, un to understand or conceptualize uh, gender identity theory without yeah. talking about gender stereotypes. And one of the, the teaching instruments that they actually had for the teachers actually had a picture of a Barbie and a picture of a GI Joe on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? To say, okay, <laughs> if you don't identify over here or over there, well, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, right? And it's just, it's ridiculous that we're, we're you know, starting to teach kids this and completely ignoring the idea of biology and our sex. So, you know, this is overtaking yeah. And see, again, I think I'm a very reasonable, balanced person. I actually don't mind the idea of teaching kids that some people identify differently, right, from their, but let's, what, why aren't we linking it back to biology and sex? Well, and it uh, also should be in my, like, it, uh, the parent's job to decide when and where that should happen. Like, there's, there's many things in the world that my kids don't know yet, but it's not time yet. Like, it's just crazy to me that they think that they ha it, that they have. It's almost like a savior complex. I, I, I see or think if I had to interpret it on why they feel they should yeah. teach it, these things. Yeah, it certainly felt like there was a new religion being pushed on, um, you know, on my daughter, and that there was no way to reason around that. You know, it was just no. This is the way it is. Very authoritarian, um, yep. and that there was no no option to just sit back and have a dialogue about well wait a minute here, why are you doing this? Is it yeah. actually based in evidence? Um, why are you not affirming her as a girl because she's a female, yeah. right? You affform others because they have different identities. Why can't we talk about both things, right? Totally, why, aren't, yeah. why don't both concepts have equal value? Yeah. Um, and in an education system, which I believe should be teaching kids critical thinking skills, right? And as we learn about others and as we become a more inclusive society, that's all wonderful stuff, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, okay, now we're only going to recognize gender self-identification. We do not recognize biological sex as a, as a valid form of identifying. For sure. So what ended up ha happening? Are you still within this process? I know that you were, pro you were looking for a, a lawsuit in human rights. Is that correct? Right. So this was, uh, this was five years ago now that it happened, um, six. So we have gone through our process, I suppose, mm -hmm. looking for some accountability and so on. Um, we never really achieved uh, an outcome that we were satisfied with um, because there is no accountability here, uh, it, it, see, it seems like. So we did eventually um, 
file a human rights complaint with the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal based on the idea that um, the only option we were given to, was to remove our daughter from the classroom. And so that was exclusionary, right? Because she was female and they were not recognizing her as a female and uh, with her, um, you know, yeah. that unique characteristic that she had. Um, so we took it to the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. Uh, they granted us a full hearing, which was a bit of a surprise. You know, we were kind of expecting them to find a way to dismiss it right right away. Um, we went through the, the hearing process, um, but it really, you know, I was disappointed at the outcome as well. Um, it felt like the, the tribunal process itself was very captured. Um, there was even some ideological language in the in the real in the ruling itself, such as you know everyone has a gender identity. But, well, how do you actually prove that? That is wow. not a statement of yeah. fact. You know, yeah, even no, though you're no. writing it as a statement of fact, um, because gender identity is supposed to be something kind of like a gendered soul that each of us is supposed to feel about how we maybe identify with the social constructs of being a man or a woman in our society. Personally, I don't believe I have a gender identity. I believe I have a, a sex. And, um, and other people identify me as female because I was created that way. And that is an observable characteristic that I have. And so that is just, that just so happens to be how I identify, but I don't necessarily believe I have this separate thing called the gender identity, yeah. which is somehow related to whether I feel like a man or a woman. I mean, when I'm using power tools and, and building things, right. I, I don't say, well, I feel like a man right now, you know, it's, it's, it's just nonsense to me. So I don't understand how, how we can impose this on 100% of the population in a legal kind of manner to say everyone has a gender identity, therefore we are you know, constructing these um, laws around gender identity. Yeah, and you're totally right. But was there anything, was there ever, it doesn't sound like there was anything that was ever flagged from the sense of A, it was your six-year-old, it was grade one, and it was also brought on by the teacher. Like, those two points seem so offside. Like, regardless of the, the legal jargon and the terms and all this, were those two points ever brought up? Because can, can um, you only imagine yes. if, if they brought their religion on to your child? Like, right. yes, or, or maybe absolutely. they went against your religion or their religion? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, the College of Teachers, for example, told us, well, this is a school board issue. You know, you really should bring it up with the school board. It's a matter of how they coach their their teachers you know and how they keep track of what teachers are communicating in the classroom um sure but you know that's it's very difficult right to to police each and every teacher and um there's a, a, i think just a a culture that we live in particularly in north america where um if you have progressive woke thinking right you just feel like you've got carte blanche as a teacher to um you know to suggest a lot of these different things to yeah. your students, regardless yeah. of age. And there are no, as far as I can tell, yeah. there has been, and this is a big failing of the system, there has been no clear guidance from the Ministry of Education or anywhere else about how to teach gender identity. So if this is now a reality in our world that we need to grapple with and that yeah. teachers, you know, teachers need to grapple with it, and I'm, I'm sensitive to them in terms of how they, yes, it's a reality for, for some kids and some mm -hmm. families, and so teachers need to know how to um, how to handle different situations and how to what to tell students about gender identity. But there have been no guidelines developed 
um, by the ministry. And I think that's a failing. The British Department of Education came up with some excellent guidelines a few years ago, which, you know, it stipulates things like, you know, you shouldn't suggest that nonconformity to gender stereotypes means that someone has a different gender identity. And you shouldn't suggest totally. that being uncomfortable, right? Being yeah. uncomfortable in your body yeah. might mean that your body is not right for you and needs to be changed. Yeah. So, you know, there's all these things which I think are um, come out in that guidance, which are really good red flags around, mm -hmm. well, wait a minute, what are you actually suggesting to kids mm -hmm. when you start teaching this stuff? Totally. And does it go too far? Absolutely. You know, um, to the parents who maybe are dealing with similar situations right now in, in the U.S., Canada, or whoever's watching, what, what do you wish you knew if you could go back in time? If I could go back in time? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Oof, I don't know. I guess um, I wish I knew what I did today and that mm -hmm. it's not, um, you know, that this this is just permeating our, our whole mm -hmm. education system, that there really isn't a way to... Um, to think that you can protect your kids from it, um, that this is something that will be very teacher specific, possibly school board specific. Um, we moved our kids to the Catholic board after this happened. And certainly in the elementary grades, I found it much more reasonable and balanced in terms of how they, they um, approach topics like this. Yeah. And you know maybe the teachers are a little bit different there as well. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily immune you know, yeah. just because it's the Catholic board, uh, it certainly does not necessarily teach Catholic doctrine anymore. Certainly, yeah. uh, it's become a very secular type of alternative. What about when in communication with your daughter? Like what? Like yeah. And I and I mean very literally. What? Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> sometimes a lot of this you just feel like deer in headlights. You don't know even how to take it on, how to talk. What do you yeah. say? What not to? Yeah. They're asking questions Absolutely. as a six-year-old that you're going, "Wow, I never thought mm -hmm. I'd be talking about this." That's so, right. what advice would you give in that? Yeah, I would say, you know, to be, I guess, very open with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, we have tried to use examples, um, for example, around sports, you know, to to say that, you know, there's, there's a, a movement in our society. And again, this is very difficult to explain to a six-year-old, but a movement in our society that um, some males think that they can identify as women and compete with women, you know, in cycling events or swimming events or whatever it might be. And we don't believe that that is right because it's not it's not fair. You know, sport is based on fairness, and and those types of principles are not being upheld. So yeah. we try to find examples where you know we teach our kids that who you are and you know how you were born yeah. as a male or a female is very important. For sure. Um, and um, and that you know other people, sure, they may identify differently, um, but that it becomes uh, you know, a little bit difficult to, to say, well, why, why do you think you're not a girl? Right. Yeah. And, and now my, my kids do have experiences with other, other people in their class who decide to identify differently. Um, but you know, that's fine. If, if that person is going through something or wants to identify differently, um, you need to respect that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that their fundamental biology no longer mm -hmm. matters. For I sure. And that's one, you don't need to question, yeah. like sometimes I, I, sometimes I feel like p parents need permission to say it's okay not to, like, I don't, sometimes when they ask me why I go, I don't know right now. Like we can talk about that another time or I'm not quite sure. Or um, like just sometimes you don't need a definitive answer. You could say, oh, 
We'll figure it out. We'll talk about it another time. But what I find is that they give too much credit to the six-year-old's thought process, to the five-year-old's, to the seven-year-old's, where it's going. Sometimes they ask a big question and our mind goes, whoa. But sometimes they're just, <laughs> they don't even know what they're asking sometimes. Sometimes they're just repeating something. But um, it, it just it seems crazy to me that they're giving that much uh, validation to such immature thinking because that's where they're at. Um, so yeah, tell, tell me what it is that you guys do at the gender report and um, yeah. and, and what's so, happening there. Gender report, um, after we went public with our human rights case and yeah. um, and other other parents started approaching me and saying, yeah. um, you know, we've had a similar situation in yeah. the school or my, you know, someone I know or my own child is going through, uh, you know, the transitioning process and I'm not sure this is going to be right for them long term. But the parents that approached me, and this was again about five years ago, um, they felt that they could not speak out themselves. Um, they were silenced, you know, I think it's silencing by our culture that is in place, and also silenced because they they didn't want to hurt their own child by speaking out and putting, yeah. you know, a spotlight of attention on them and so on. Yeah. So I felt like, well, I feel like I can speak out because, you know, I, our family has a very, you know, open sort of open conversation. We didn't feel like we had, um, you know, those kinds of risks to take. And I felt very strongly about this particular issue and about um, shining a spotlight, you know, the research and the evidence and what, what is happening in here in Canada. Um, I come from an analytics background. My professional career has been in data analytics and uh, in the software industry. And so we always had a mantra, you know, you make better decisions with data. Absolutely. Right. And so I went to the data. I said, I'm going to go to the research and figure out, you know, is what they're doing in the schools? Is it evidence based? Is it appropriate? Is it this and that? Because I don't know. At the time, I was like, I don't know. I don't want this being pushed on my child because you're confusing her and you're causing her distress. But at the same time, I was curious and I was like, OK, let's go and have a look at this and let's see what's happening. So I started reading a whole bunch of research, connecting with other people who are doing uh, similar things and really eye-opener experience that, wow, okay, things have shifted significantly here. There is no more caution mm -hmm. in, the, yeah. in the medical profession in Canada um, in terms of prescribing puberty blockers, transitioning yeah. kids, medical Because those aren't easy those to reverse. Things. Once you start, like you're, yeah. you are changing the physio physiological body, like, mm -hmm. and the, which are wild that they're not um, a lot more cautious with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a Canadian, you expect, you expect those, uh, the white coated experts that you go Safeguard. and see, right, as yeah. your doctor and your pediatrician and so on to be cautious about these types of things. But that is, um, that is no longer the case. Uh, and there's just so many examples that I've heard you know, even even young girls who were sexually assaulted and they had been seeing a therapist, you know, they quickly identified as a different gender about a month or two after the, the assault happened. We're obviously going through hugely traumatic in their life. Um, they were still, you know, put onto puberty blockers, put onto testosterone, given the green light to do a mastectomy, right? And then, um, you know, God, God willing, the... Um, you know, they didn't go through with a mastectomy. They, you know, at the age of 18, sort of, okay, I'm entering university. I'm doing something um, different now with my life. And this isn't who I am anymore. So it was mm -hmm. a coping strategy. And there was yeah. even a therapist, a well-known therapist saying, no, you know, transition 
medical transition is le- is probably not a good idea for yeah. this person. Yeah. And yet they still, you know, they yeah. still got all the all the meds. Yeah. Um and and the potential harm that goes with that and possibly irreversible um effects of that. Wow. And so it's just it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, well, for sure. And, and if we bring the right conversation, like if the right conversations happen, which is why I find the Canadian government bringing in certain bills and laws into place that are governing speech and thought, <laughs> um, which should alarm a lot of people, because there's certain things that now parents are restricted to say, um, certain things that teachers are restricted to say, pastors are restricted to say, which should be a giant flag. If If we can bring topics to it, like we, as you just said, that look at the data and make an informed decision. It should be very similar when it comes to communication on any topic at all. Truth should rise to the top. And if we can talk about it all and hash it all out and bring all the data to the top, then we make an informed decision. But it, it seems as though you can have a conversation, but don't talk about any of this. Like what? It's just crazy. Yeah. And, and this is one of the problems with our media as well. Um, the media has become very biased in that mm-hmm. they will promote a certain narrative. And, and I think they're afraid of um, of investigating this issue too deeply and getting into it. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're that, very right when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. So, and we see it more, you know, um, the National Post has started, you know, looking at this particular issue and writing some balanced articles on it. Um, the research that is being used, we need to be very careful because research is sometimes done and results are published which are not actually correct. Um, there was an example in, uh, with some Swedish data, which someone re- analyzed and said, okay, this means that you know there are improved mental health outcomes if individuals are granted access to medical transition, like hormones or surgeries. Um, that was immediately picked up by Reuters and published across um, you know across the world as conclusive evidence, you know that that medical gender transition is important and should be more accessible, but that conclusion was incorrect. And a whole bunch of clinicians got hold of that data and did their own research and forced the journal to backtrack on it and issue a correction. But the correction never made it into the media. Um, I think a few US publications and some British publications wrote about it, but no one corrected the existing article. You know, that that was not a story, right? So the public is, is getting this narrative and, yeah. and they're being informed, sometimes with false information, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that is contributing to this culture that we're now living in, which is, well, you know, medical transition is super important and we need to, um, you know, we need to make it more accessible and we need to be passing, um, laws and other things that, that give better access, which is not necessarily the case. I would like to see a review of gender transition services, just as, um, they've recently been reviewed in, Sweden, Finland, Norway, and the UK, yeah. and they've all backtracked on what they're doing. Is is there anything that you would say that, like, what, what can parents, teachers, medical staff do? Like, if they're on the side of going, I don't know how I feel about this, what, do you, what is it that they can do? Oh, that's a great question. I think, um, I think they need to find a way to speak up yeah. and make their concerns raised mm-hmm. um, and known. Uh, many reach out to me and will ask for you know, advice, um, you know, how to have those conversations. Many are being forced out of the profession, unfortunately. I've had a few teachers reach out recently and they said, I just can't, you know, I can't go along with this anymore. Um, I'm being forced to, you know, forced to teach 
uh, sort of the the transgender um, agenda, and, mm -hmm. and I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, and so they've decided to take retirement, for example, and just get out of the profession altogether. Wow. Um, yeah, I think, and and I think I've seen, you know, I've come to terms with in Canada many many of the clinicians now who treat, mm -hmm. you know, transgender kids are sort of pro-transition yeah. individuals, right? Yeah. Many of the people who are more cautious have been pushed out of yeah. of the profession, um, and so we have this now imbalance in our system again with. Um, you know, in the whistleblowers who have come forward, there have been a, a couple. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Joey Bonifacio spoke out in the National Post. He was the former director of the Sick Kids Gender Clinic and is a very well-respected um, pediatrician and physician. And he spoke out saying, you know, we need to have more thoughtful care. We need to slow things down and so on. But it's not clear that anything will actually happen. Yeah. So we do have people speaking out. There's a lot of transgender people, actually. I, I was in shock in one of my previous meetings with sort of the group of us of, um, you know, concerned Canadians that get together from time to time, yep. one, one third of the group, and it was a fairly large group, like almost a dozen people, one third were actually transgender people yeah. in that, in that meeting. Well, with and, us. That, and that doesn't surprise me. I, I've seen a lot of YouTube interviews um, and there's a channel I follow where they actually bring a lot of great conversation. They'll, they'll find polarizing topics and bring people on either side, discuss it. And they were talking about gender identity and, and everything that goes with it. And so they had transgenders and, and discussing what their thoughts were on this. And almost every one of them that they talked to said, I wish, like, I wish I would have waited later to talk this through. I would have thought further down the line. And if there's any children that do, they should just wait later. Wait, wait, wait. And it, none of that's being shown anywhere, though. Is there any last things that you want to share to any of our viewers that are watching? Uh, yeah, I think it's important to understand that um, we're becoming a bit of an anomaly here in Canada, mm -hmm. that we are an outlier, in fact, right now, yeah. because yeah. other countries have done reviews on uh, medical gender transition of young people yeah. and so even social transition and those types of things. Yeah. And so this new, the shift to, okay, we need to affirm and transition all these young people yeah. um, because gender identity is just so important and, and so on, that under scrutiny, that doesn't hold up. Mm -hmm. It does not hold up. And yeah. so that's why Canada, I think, is really at risk of harming a lot of children and young mm -hmm. people who are being transitioned medically yeah. um, without really scrutinizing the evidence behind these medical interventions, uh, you know, the role of social and medical transition and how it's being applied. We're yeah. not tracking any outcomes. There is no balanced sort of uh, medical research going on here. Um, where we can conclusively say, okay, yes, this was good for a certain part of the population. No, there uh, is a very low regret rate. We just, we don't have the data right yeah. now. And yet yeah, exactly. people are still being told as they sign off on that informed consent form, when your child starts on puberty blockers, yeah. you are being told there's a very, very tiny regret rate. That is absolutely inaccurate information. Wow. There is no way we can validate that yeah. right now based on the data that we have. And so, you know, I think parents and others in Canada, fortunately, are in this terrible situation of not um, having accurate and uh, accurate information so they can make informed decisions, especially oh. on these critical, uh, you know, pathways for their, their children. Exactly. So and, I think that's, that's just I... a point. That's a point that I really want to make. That's why I'm still in this fight, yeah, if exactly. you will, because, right, totally. my, my yep. issue with my daughter is, uh, is long 
in in the past now, but I just see this horrible sort of collision course that we're yep. on in Canada um, because we are on a freight train, as far as I can tell, barreling down the tracks, um, and everything seems to be couched in, well, this is a human rights issue. We need to, yep. you know, affirm and support and, and all of these. But wait a minute here. How come there's this explosion of kids all of a yep. sudden identifying as trans? All of these young people. Um, you know, is there social media influence? Is there peer influence? Why is there 25% of one class identifying as trans yes, exactly. right after you brought in a, a you know, yeah. <laughs> right? Right yeah. after you brought in a, a third party speaker on this issue. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, it just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. And what are the implications of this, yes. you know? But it, it all comes back, to, in my opinion, as parents, where we just safeguard our children. We, we, we think and protect them and we have conversations with them, we hear them out, we hold our schools accountable, we get in there, we talk with them. Um, that's what needs to happen. Pam, I wanna say thank you for coming on Return to Reason today. It is, it is such a pleasure to be able to talk through these things and allow people to make an informed decision and walk out what it means to be a, uh, an informed parent. So thank you, Pam. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. You are an essential part of this series. Support truth, knowledge, and wisdom by sharing this show with a friend. Visit returntoreason.tv. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking Become an Insider. Get the latest articles, episodes, and exclusive content. It's Return to Reason.